Welcome to Bible Mysteries. What if there are secrets in the Bible the world doesn't want you to know? You're listening to episode 158, Double Down Gospel, interview with Brad Davis. Now here are your hosts, Scott and John. Hello, welcome once again to Bible Mysteries Podcast. I'm Scott Mitchell here with a very special guest that I'm going to introduce you to in just a moment. But this is a very special episode of Bible Mysteries Podcast. We're going to deviate from our normal thing to talk to you about my dear buddy, Brad Davis. Brad, welcome to the show. It's good to be here, buddy. Yes, absolutely. <laughs> uh, Brad is probably one of my oldest friends, not because you're older than me, but Where just because <laughs> I've known you so long. But to give you a little background, Brad is a recording artist. He's a phenomenal guitar player, uh, inventor of a technique called Double Down Up that he's written books on. Uh, Brad's got numerous uh, uh, albums that he's recorded. He's toured with artists from Earl Scruggs to Marty Stewart to Sam Bush to Billy Bob Thornton. And I'm missing probably a dozen or so (laughs) people, right? That you play with. He's really a, a musician extraordinaire. Owner of um, the the studio is called? Brad Davis Recording Studio. Oh, okay. I was Maybe I was confusing with the store. Well, Brick Row Music is Brick the Row. store. Okay, yeah. Brick, so Brick Row Music is the store. The studio is Brad Davis Recording Studios in Commerce, right. Texas. Right. And my goodness, Brad, you and I first met in Nashville. We've been musical outlaws all these years, and now we time. are in-laws. We are. Because Brad's beautiful daughter married my oldest son, and so now we're relatives. So Brad, tag your it. <laughs> That's right. So thank you so much for joining us on oh, Bible Mysteries. It's an honor to be here. You bet. Uh, we are so glad to have you. Uh, you are a believer, a Bible student as well. Uh, I have taught Bible classes to you. Oh, absolutely. Uh, you and I have joined uh, at many a conference. We've uh, dug into the scriptures. <laughs> We've dug deep. into the word many times. <laughs> but uh, we're going to just talk to you today about, uh, you know, life as a musician in an industry that's not very friendly to Christianity. Right. Uh, we're going to talk to you about some interesting things that you've uh done in your own life and career and some interesting things about Bigfoots in Oklahoma. And so let's dive in to start with and uh, talk about something that you and I have worked so closely on over the years, which was gospel music right. and co-writing with each other for a project that we did called Berea. Do you remember how that all came about from the beginning? What was the first recollection you have? You know, I know I was in Nashville. We had the studio in the basement. Yeah. And uh, I can't remember what was the catalyst to start that. Yeah. I mean, I really don't. You may recollect what was the original, you know, kickoff of that. Here's what I remember. Okay. And I was thinking that you might remember something prior to this because my memory is so bad. <laughs> I, I feel like I leave out way too many important details. But I do remember at some point when I felt called by the Lord to preach that I was living in Louisiana. And I began to travel to Texas once a month to teach. And I would drive that trip in a car that had no radio or air conditioning. Right, right. A 77 Ford truck, you know. Uh, and I would write songs in my head. Yeah, I think about the Word of God and I think about, you know, we've, we've commented at some point in the past about 
while there's some really great Christian music out there, they don't seem to rise to the level of the old hymns. Right. And we felt like we were missing that. We wanted it to be modern, but have a lesson. A little bit more meat to it. Meat on the bone, exactly. A little more meat on so the bone. So I started writing as I would uh, travel, and in my head I was just pr- praying I could remember. Oh, okay, write that. Because you, know, you can't write while you're driving, right? <laughs> so I would get home, and I would jot everything down, and I would try to throw some chords to it. And I showed you a few tunes, and you were like, hey, I've got a gospel song that's kind of like that. And you would share some things you've been working on. Because in your primary career, um, you weren't a, known as a gospel recording artist, but you've done gospel records. Yeah. Yeah. And so it was like, you know, we knew we were both believers. You had an affinity for the word. You had these cool ideas that were not typical hymns or praise and worship type music. Right. And then we ended up compiling some songs together and we had enough to do the first CD. Right. That's, yeah, yeah. Yeah, and then we started tracking in the uh, basement in Nashville. Yes, that's right. And uh, we found some other people that kind of joined us. I think that first project, which was called Children in Glory, right? it was no rhyme or reason to it other than we had these songs. Right. And we put together a number of songs that there was not really a particular cohesion to it. Like we didn't go for a sound or style. We just had uh, some people that we knew. And it morphed throughout the project. At sure. first, I was inviting preachers I knew to come sing, and like they were terrible. <laughs> I joke because they were great at giving me ideas and ended up being co-writers. On oh, some of seriously things. great! Yeah, ideas. but um, but when we got in, you know, the, the we were used to the professional studio environment, and these guys had never been in one, so they didn't know you couldn't just stop what you were singing and right. whatever. But then we found a couple of people that were really good musicians and singers, and we invited them to be a part of the project. So what? ultimately turned into Berea right kind of was the first CD was a work in progress yeah but some great songs came out of that you know and it should always tell the listener if they're a songwriter it always starts with the song true the message if it's not there it's all fluff go to the Waffle House yeah. and eat. yeah do not do it but you know it, it started with some really great songs and great ideas and you have those ideas on the road I write some of my best stuff when I'm driving yeah now that we've got a phone we can put an audio track down. We can capture the magic, if you will, of that particular idea. And then you can go back to it later and go, there it is. Yeah. And get back into that same mode. But years ago, you didn't have that. No. You had to roll home as fast as you could and and grab a guitar and... I was happy enough when I was able to get one of those little memo recorders. Yeah, voice. right. Micro so cassette. I would speak into it right, yeah, right, as right. I was driving. You know, that way I wouldn't risk you know running off the road or something. <laughs> and then uh, a lot of times uh, I would travel with my guitar, so that after I got where I was going and spent the night or whatever before I returned home, I would right. usually break it out and try to put some sort of a rudimentary chord structure around it. Uh, and you taught me so much about writing because I came from this sort of a <laughs> pseudo jazz background and that didn't translate over to popular music too much. So you were kind of like, why don't we simplify that? Why don't we change that chord? You know, and uh, it took a bit, but I kind of learned watching you as, as the master oh. to uh, to keep it simple, but to focus on melody. You know, once you've got a good lyric, uh, try, try, don't try to show off what chord structures you have. Keep your melody singable. Keep it memorable. It's all about the melody. So, I mean, even working with Marty Stewart for years, it was almost like, you know, how can we make him sound better? Yeah. Like, what do I What do I got to take out of what I'm doing? What baggage can I take out of what I'm playing? You know, less is more. To let him shine. And same thing about the song. Yeah. You take out as much as you can as a guitar player so the melody can really come forward. And that's difficult. 
It, it's an art. It's difficult. Which is why probably songwriters get paid so well when they yeah. do get hits. It's difficult. Because yeah. uh, a hit is worth its weight in gold once you find that yeah. combination. Well, we, uh, you know, our CDs were um, not widely distributed at all, uh, but we did three. Yeah. And uh, the third one uh, ended up being uh, the, the actually, I should say, the second one ended up being the one that I feel proudest of Frozen Lake. Right. Because I feel like we had sort of a production idea from start to finish. Sure. And we kept it thematic. I think we were highly influenced by uh, Alison Krauss and Union Station. Oh, yeah. yeah. Uh, so we went for sort of that bluegrass, new grass, whatever you want to call right. it. And we were pretty consistent with that, even though we we ventured into like a, an Irish Celtic vibe on one right. song and uh, things like that. But um, we did... Uh, uh, the third CD and the final one we did was called um, After the Fall. And we went for more of a 70s rock, kind of our generation of music growing up. Yeah. And uh, had a, a, a brilliant group of musicians on that one, uh, including my brother. As yeah. A, as a drummer. Rob, yeah. Uh, Great en- drummer. Ended up not mastering it as well as I would have liked to have had because of my own limitations. But we, we were literally talking today about you shouldn't produce yourself, you know. And, and I, I think I ran into that uh, that pit, too. But it was also timing and, and uh, circumstances ha- had a lot of impact on it. But still, never mind the challenges, the songs were still really Oh, good. the songs were great. Message yeah. was great. Yeah. And, and I think I would say at that point, you and I as gospel writing duo were our most prolific, I think. Some of the most oh, yeah. poignant songs came. To me, that one had the best songs. Yeah. I mean... Uh, you know, maybe, maybe we didn't we didn't mix it the way we felt. Yeah. You know, we, we wanted to go to the number ten. You know, as far as the best, <laughs> but um, but song wise, it was great. Yeah, the songs were powerful, and we we felt like uh, we accomplished what we set out to do, which was we wanted a song to be melodic, like we talked about, sure, and and memorable, but at the same time. A message was conveyed, not just "I love you, Jesus," right. which is fine. Yeah. But we wanted to say with some depth, like it was almost a Bible lesson in a song. Right. You know, I, I feel like we, we accomplished that. I do too. I mean, and I feel like it's, I mean, worship music's great, but it's over and over and over and very repetitive. And we wanted, yeah. to, we wanted to try to eliminate a little bit of that. We yeah. wanted to have the message and have a real cohesive hook. Right. So people went like, I love that song. It's great. Oh, wow. It's got a message. Yeah. Bonus. You know, so that was the goal, I think. Uh, and I think we accomplished it. So throughout this uh, interview and in this material that we're going to do with Brad, um, we're going to perform a, a number of songs that Brad and I wrote uh, with my wife, Sandy, who was our, we, we were just writing her coattails the whole time, right? <laughs> our She's brother. a singer. She's an amazing singer. So uh, fortunately, we can squeeze a note in here. And, and how there. long has it been since we played these songs? Oh, my gosh. Uh Decades? Yeah, it's been uh, decades. Almost decades. Yeah. We were looking at the uh, copyright years on some of those titles, 2005. Yeah, so it's been a long time. <laughs> if it's been a while. <laughs> so if, if we sound a little rusty, um, if I sound a little rusty, you'll know why. Teach me your love. 
about your career uh, as a musician and as a Christian in a world that can pose some interesting challenges. How do you stay grounded when you tour, when you're working for an artist who can sometimes be maybe temperamental or whatever? Well, you know, I mean, it's 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 like Brother Moore was kind of our first connection. Right. You and me both. Uh, the e. preacher, e. Bible Seymour, teacher, yeah. Right, E.C. Moore. And uh, I got his, I think I got a batch of tapes. I can't remember if I got your collection of tapes. Back you might when, have back when cassettes were yes. were hot items, <laughs> and I would you know on the on the road you're on the bus with with uh, a five piece band and possibly a road manager, uh, the main artist and and a bus driver. So you're you're in a bit of a chaotic situation. I mean, you may like all the people, get along, uh, but they've got their things they want to do. Yeah, and uh, what it does is it gives you a lot of time to study. So you've got a bunk with a curtain. Oh. And a good air conditioner. And so you may, if you're traveling from Bangor, Maine to Yakima, Washington, you've got a long trip. And so you can sit in there and study and listen to cassette after cassette over and over and over and over, which is what I did with those cassettes. So it was E.C. Moore's material, and it really kind of helped me just sit in. i got to get away from what's going on out there. Yeah. And, and, and you know, they're having fun. They're, they're letting off some steam uh, because the business is very chaotic. It's very stressful. And you're on stage, and you don't do a good job, and you get called down for it. So there's a lot of stress to that. So, you know, they were doing what they needed to do to just kind of cool out and de-stress. And, and my de-stress was getting in the bunk, closing the curtain, and turning on those cassettes and putting on a pair of headphones and, and getting my Bible out. I mean, that was really the only way <laughs> uh, to probably disarm yourself Yes, with the job. 
Yeah, I actually or for it, the job. The little touring I ever did because I was in music professionally for a very short stint. When when I realized it was not my cup of tea, you know, for for leaving being gone all the time, and that's hard on any musician. Oh, it is you know? tough. But I do remember uh, that's when I sunk my teeth into the Word of God when I was playing. We got so much downtime, and we would drive into California downtime, t- Tennessee. Yeah. And uh, yeah, so I had the same cassette tapes that we probably shifted yeah. and, and shared many, many tapes of Brother yeah. E.C. Moore. And thank God for the hymn because I got saved because of that man and uh, because of his preaching. Yeah. But his teaching was some of the, the best I could have received at the time. You know? Oh, yeah. Uh, so uh, yeah, I can relate to that. But I, that was my little refuge when we were on the road is to go put my headset on and my little Walkman. And Oh, dude. <laughs> I mean, that was, that was like a lifeline. Mm. You know, I remember him say, he said one thing to me. He goes, you know, why are you letting sin shut you down? Yeah. You know, it's not your sin, it's your unbelief. Yeah. And that was it. Yeah, that's true. That's what hinders us, I think, most and I, of the and, I, and I thought in my mind, I go, well, I believe. And he goes, well, then then stand up and get over it. You know? <laughs> I mean, you're, you're saved. So, right. like, oh, great. So let's study. Let's start grabbing more information to help me arm myself as, a, as an ambassador for Christ. Yeah. Within that realm yes. of traveling in the music industry. And, and the best thing, I think, was, was to let the guys know. And, and I didn't do it verbally, but, but they knew that, what are you going to do? I'm, I'm going to go in my bunk and study. Yeah. You do what you want to do. It's your, it's your life. And so a lot of times they'd come with questions and go, we're going to ask anybody, we're going to ask him because he's one of our guys. Yeah. So that was probably the best benefit, you know, to be able to be in that position. Right. Not that I really know anything or have any knowledge about anything. Well, interesting you bring that up because even if, you know, so I took the path of going to the street and becoming a pastor you're a professional musician, but still a believer. So you're studying. And even if you were, and you weren't, but even if you were at a rudimentary level of knowledge of the scriptures, it still leaps above the environment that you're in. Oh, yeah. And the yeah. people, so some of the artists you work with. And I think I've even had you share with me at times that some of these particular artists, not all of them necessarily, um, weren't necessarily believers, but they were drawn to the light in yeah. you. They they confided in you. They they could share maybe intimate circumstances in their own life that they wouldn't share with anybody else. It was interesting. Yeah. It really was. You, you almost became like their their sounding board, the shoulder to cry on, the, the person to talk to, like a counselor. Did you find that was Yeah, and it wasn't, you know, I mean, you know, never lift me up, you know, at all. But it was it was I think it was a fact that they knew in their mind, whatever they were thinking He's in their study and doing his thing. Yeah. You know, whatever they're thinking about that whole uh, process that I'm doing. And they would, they would, you know, we got a, there's a, something going on in the news today and it's troubling us. We want to ask you about this. And what does scripture say about that? I go, well, it's not what I say. It's what the scripture says. Yeah. So I go, here's what it says. And they'd go, you know, we like that attitude. It's not my opinion. It's God's <laughs> work. So they were kind of like, wow, this is great. So it was amazing. Uh, and I didn't, you know, intend it to be that way at all. I just uh, just was trying to get built up yeah. and learn more. You know, and you know th- that is so wise. There, there is nothing more powerful than saying to somebody, well, you read what it says. Yeah. Because if you and I have a debate about an issue, we're thinking, well, that's your opinion. But when you go, well, you tell me what it says, right. then you remove that from the equation. And Brother Moore did that to us yeah. time and time again. Yeah. Now, don't listen to what I say. Go read it. 
Because ultimately you're saying, if you have an argument, take it up with the Lord. Yeah. Take it up with the author. Right. <laughs> it's not me you're fighting right, it. You right, know? right. That's really, that's really interesting. Not to say that there isn't temptation in every facet of life, but I think most people would probably agree that the entertainment industry probably is rife with other temptations that aren't necessarily in everyday life. Sure. So, and it's not that there isn't drug use anywhere. They're superficial. Yeah, there's basically. something about that. How did you deal with... Uh, I'm, I wasn't there to say that it's a constant threat, but how did you deal with the everyday temptations to just lose it, blow it? You, you know? know, I think a lot of it was the clan, if, you, if you'll say the band, okay. whatever band I'm with, is looking at me like, well, we're going to go to him for, for insight about things. And I said, I cannot ruin that legitimacy. Yeah. I can't. True. I can't afford to do that. You know, things have gotten to a certain point where they're thinking, well, shoot, let's go ask Brad. I said, well, I have got to maintain some kind of some kind of stability, Yeah. Um, even though I'm not worth a flip and the gunpowder would blow me to hell, right? Right. But uh, the fact is I've got to maintain some kind of legitimacy to them in that regard because they, would, they wouldn't come back to me. Yeah. And so that really was always in the back of my mind. Yeah. And I think really that was the one thing that made me feel like you don't want to do that. You know, you got you got you got a band here that trusts you, right? And they rely on you. So, yeah, I don't know. It was really a weird. Uh, it, it was a weird, but a very positive um, combination of pulls and tugs between that group and myself. You know? Yeah. Plus, I would imagine they're seeing. You know, you're you're a husband, you're a father, uh, and so breaking that commitment. In front of them. Yeah. You know, because even I remember when I did tour with the only artist that I ever was notable, mm-hmm. uh, but I was actually making a salary and, and touring with an artist. Um, every guy in the band, right. every crew member divorced. Oh, yeah. yeah and you know why, mm-hmm. you know, because they're out on the road. They're away from their spouse. And, right. you know, so temptation hits. And I that was another one of the reasons that were for me. And maybe it was a good thing the Lord Pulled me into ministry because I probably wouldn't have handled the the, the risks well, as well as others. We're not any better than anybody else. <laughs> True. So you 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 also must have had then um, an awareness of look, I I break that covenant and the and the the clan of my band lose my, sees that you that, lose all your credibility. Yep. Yeah, that's so important. Yeah, that that we that we keep our credibility. Well, Walmart does not have that on the shelf to buy. True. You can't go get that. Yeah. <laughs> you gotta. You gotta. You gotta earn it in a way. And I think those guys were. Wow, we've been through a lot over yeah. the years, and you're just hanging in there. I go. You know, I'm doing the best I can. Yeah. It's not that I'm any better than you yes, guys. Always with humility. <laughs> I'm doing the best I can. Right. Right. Yeah. And I guess what what it boils down to is that's the value of our testimony. Yeah. We we destroy our testimony when our life doesn't reflect it. Yeah. Exactly. Know? So. Hi, if you're enjoying this podcast, please consider being a full-time subscriber. We are going to use these funds to expand the message and get the word out about what's in the Bible that the world doesn't want you to know about. That's right, John. We appreciate you listening, but we'd love it if you'd subscribe. That way we can reach more people with the time we have left. So enjoy the rest of the podcast, but think about subscribing if the Lord puts it on your heart. To subscribe, just go to BibleMysteries.Supercast.com. Thanks. Talk about your latest project you're working on. You've got you've got so many CDs out, but you're you're doing something right now that you just recorded in Nashville. 
Tell yeah, us a little bit about that. Yeah, I'm working that. on a project called Y'all's Generation. It's with a, a, a friend of mine, Steve Trudell, a songwriter and real successful songwriter. He writes with Bernie Toppin's band and hmm. uh, Bernie Toppin and Elton John's band, excuse me, and right. uh, Justin Timberlake and Lenny Kravitz, and the list goes on and on. And we've been friends for a long, long time, and um, he'd been looking for his, a co-writer to come back uh, to work with him uh, when they pitched to Universal, which is a record label. And so he called and said, you want to be part of this this deal? And I said, well, what is it? Well, it's, it's five generations of country. We're going to put together this band, and we're going to write songs, and we're going to mm-hmm. release it. And so uh, he's been a, a brother, like an older brother to me for a long time, and uh, a believer um, not rightly divider, but a believer. Mm-hmm. And so uh, I got a feeling I got, that's why I'm there. Yeah. You know? So, Who knows what door the Lord's going to yeah. open. Yeah. So we're getting ready to launch that. And then I'm working on a trio project uh, with funding from that same financial entity. Uh, and we're getting ready to release uh, five songs with the Brad Davis GTR trio. And we're working on that. So it'll be my first time to do my own music. Yeah. For the first time ever. So I'm excited about that. And being the main guy in front is difficult, you know. That's um, right, because you've always been the lead musician. Because, you know, there's yeah. a spotlight in the middle, and then out to the outside are the, uh, the, the side guys. And so they're on stage, and they're bulletproof. But you get in that middle light, oh, and, boy, it's, it's tough. Are on you. It's tough. <laughs> yeah, so it's been no, very, thank you. But I'm excited about it. It's yeah. been really neat. So we got a lot of neat songs uh, we're working on right now, and i got a great trio, and I'm, I'm, I'm excited about it for the first time ever. Yeah. You know, at 60, why not launch a new career? Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> or a podcast. <laughs> or a podcast, right. Well, that's a career. <laughs> right. Well, uh, that's that's really funny. And uh, you, some of our listeners may not know this. If you're not familiar with Brad, you can search him at braddavidmusic.com if you want to go to his website. And we'll post links for you where you can find uh, any of his music. But um, Brad is so prolific of a musician. He literally has a guitar model. That was designed and built for him with his name on it. Show show our audience your guitar from yeah. Alvarez. It's a, it's called the uh, Brad Davis model, and they wanted me to put Brad Davis in big letters, yeah, or something else. <laughs> and I said no, just BD, real small. What if somebody doesn't like my name on this guitar? <laughs> they could put Big Daddy, you know, would be or, or whatever, you know, whatever the name would be. And so I just made him kind of subdue it a bit. Uh, the wood in the guitar is sixty seven years old. Mm. Uh, 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 the Japanese have the oldest collection of wood wow. to date. And so what they do is they wrap it in big bundles, they soak it in wax, mm-hmm. and they sink it at the bottom of the pier. Underwater? Underwater. Okay. So they pull it up when they're ready to use it. And um, this wood, 67 years old, and the back inside is Honduran rosewood. And it's old, you know, 68, 69 years old. And they're going to make a 1,000 of these. We've sold eight to date, which is great. Yeah. Uh, COVID kind of shut everything down. Yeah. Sell, so that was about the time y'all were working. Right. Yeah. We're eight to date, and then uh, they're going to make um, maybe thirty thousand six hundred dollar models that'll have great wood, but not vintage. Right. So I'm excited to be part of the team. I told my wife, if we don't say yes, they may never offer me another <laughs> opportunity. So. Now, something special about this guitar that I love, uh, Brad is a, and we're both, I would say, coffee drinkers, but you're somewhat of a coffee aficionado. Oh, I'm a nut. You, you, yeah. you know more about coffee I'm a coffee than fool. I'll ever forget. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> coffee fool is a brand that you were involved with for a while. And uh, if I'm recalling correctly, I think you told me that the stain on this model yeah. 
includes coffee grounds. Yeah, I talked to Chris <laughs> Minkle, who's who was the uh, luthier that came back to Alvarez, mm. uh, and uh, he said, "Well, you know, he's a British guy, so I said, well, let's let's stain it with coffee. Why don't we?" <laughs> and I said, "That'd be great." So they they made it into this amazing coffee stain. Uh, used some other. Uh, some other, uh, you know, uh, a chemical on the outside to get it really dark. Okay. Uh, they had to, but but majority of it's coffee stain. So it's really it's cool. one of the most impressive stain tops I've ever seen. Because you, you see tobacco sometimes, and you see... It's more redder. Yeah, and you see, of course, the, the spruce natural right. finish. And then most often, other than that, it's going to be black, right. painted black. Right. So that, to me, is just a lovely tone. Uh, I, I, I'm envious of it. It's so pretty. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm just so happy to be part of the team. Uh, I was with other companies for years and uh, hadn't thought about Alvarez ever. And uh, they called and said, well, we'd love you to be part of it. What would you want us to do? And I said, well, I've got an old Martin. If you'll take that Martin and you'll kind of look at it and find out why I like it so much, yeah. then let's try to make this guitar sound like that. And, um, and, and it, it, it definitely is not a Martin. It's its own thing. So that's really cool. Oh, yeah, it's yeah. and it's it's got a very robust, and and it's like a deep projection, but it's so clear top to bottom. Uh, yeah. I don't hear any notes that stand out as like too mid ranging or too bottom endy. It's it's like perfectly balanced. And I know now we're talking music geek for all right. Of our, Sorry to bore you guys. <laughs> yeah, but no, but I had to I had to bring that up because what I'd like to do, Brad, if you don't mind, is kick off the music segment of our interview with just doing a song for us. Uh, you've got a current um, uh, gospel tune you're, you're working. Yeah, recorded. It's, it's called Beyond This Life, and I wrote it with Donnie Alissi, and uh, she's an amazing songwriter in Nashville and uh, a good friend, believer, Fantastic. awesome lady. But she uh, thinks about words a little differently than I do. Okay. And when I hear her write some lyrics, I go like, gosh, I wish I would have said that. Oh. You know, and it's one of those kind of deals. And... I think what it does is it inspires me to come up with stuff I would never ever play. Right. Uh, and so, uh, anyway, this tune's called. Uh, you want me to? Yeah, please. Just chance? go ahead if it's you don't mind. It's sing called us Beyond a tune. This Life, and uh, it goes like this. Still smile Cause hell 
in my sight There won't be No pain or grief When I live Beyond this life I greet each dawn When my heart's so my mind and I know where I will go when I live beyond this life until then I'll keep on breathing in a world that's bad and time I can't wait to see my dreams when I live beyond this life When I live beyond this life Amen. Great song, man. <laughs> Great song. Thanks. That's fantastic. So, Brian, you demonstrated in that song something that I've always been so impressed by you. And it's something that I usually equate with piano players, which is, you know, with the left and right hand accompanying each other, they could play and sing a song and keep a rhythm going. And a lot of guitar players tend to not be able to do that. Uh, you know, and I, I learned and saw it at first from not a singer, but a jazz player named Joe Pass. Oh, yeah. Who would just keep the rhythm going and solo and improvise, but chord melody. And you've got a version of that that you do that's just so cool. You 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 can solo and keep a rhythm going. How did you develop that? Did that just come to you, you naturally? Know, I, I think early on with bluegrass. You were doing... You're doing bass runs and, mm -hmm. and the rhythm at the same time, and that's really old school. Yeah. It's like Mother Maybell, uh, the Carter family. Right. And so that was really old school, you know. <laughs> you know, you're doing bass runs and you're doing rhythm at the same time, and it's always the backbeat. Yeah. You know, so you're doing a backbeat, and so once you get used to leaving that little spot for that rhythm hit, you end up kind of expanding at, and you get this. There's a rhythm, yeah. you know, in that. So I'm keeping it boom. Yeah, it's just masterfully beautiful because so many guitar players are either rhythm or melody or lead. Right. You find a way to put them together in such melodic fashion, and then sing on top of it. So it's really a gift, you know. I, I often think, you know, when we do go to heaven. I'm going to finally learn how to play as well as you, because <laughs> I'll have all the time in eternity. To, and imagine the jam sessions we're going to have. Oh, it's going to be when crazy. We could sit up there with people like Louis Armstrong or oh. Ella Fitzgerald or whoever. Is that going to be crazy? I mean, it just, you know, we're going to be surprised who's there, first Miles of all. Davis will say, take a ride. <laughs> Won't that be amazing? Uh, or Doc Watson or, or whoever, you know, and, and we'll be able to just, what a what a jam session. Oh, it's going to be amazing. Be all to give praise to the Savior who bought us, you know. You know, and I think it's all about just paying attention to the melody, mm -hmm. you know. I mean, if you're going to rhythm behind, you know, some, some guys play really loud and they beat the guitar to death and, 
it's almost like, you know, what's really necessary at that moment? You know, right. and obviously if a banjo player walks into a jam session, I'm going to play a little bit louder. Right. I'm going to do it because they're they're loud and sometimes they're very obnoxious. <laughs> so, yeah. You know, and not they don't mean to be, it's just the way that instrument is. Exactly. You know. Exactly right. Same thing with a trumpet. Yeah. You know, the trumpet's in the room, it's going to be loud. Trump's going to be loud. Banjo tends to be loud. Um, yeah, drums. Accordion is loud. Accordion's loud. Yeah, mandolins are loud. And fiddles are loud. Yeah, you know. So you always, you know, you listen and you kind of go, "What do I need to do?" And you don't sit down and analyze it and write up a sheet. You just immediately realize that I've right. got to do something different. I've always felt like a mandolin or a fiddle has more dynamic control than say a banjo. Banjo seems to have one volume. It's one volume. Yeah. It's eleven. Yeah. And I do love it when it's played well. Yeah, your brother is a ph- yeah. phenomenal. Yeah, banjo Greg's player. amazing. Yeah. Um, uh, and he even played on one of our CDs. He's more melodic and a little bit more uh, sensitive to yeah. the, the band around him. You know? Well, he's also skilled in a way that's not your typical. No. I think, because doesn't he play a seven-string? So it plays a seven-string yeah. banjo, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's almost unearthly. <laughs> yeah, he was Alison Krauss's first pick. Wow. And uh, he had designed a banjo that looked like a, a rock and roll banjo because it had seven strings and... Uh, it was a little unusual, and she said, could you play a Gibson? No, I'm going to play the one I made. He should have said yes. Oh, yeah. But he didn't, and he held his guns, <laughs> and uh, there you go. That's the rest is history. history. The rest is history. <laughs> well, I mean, I think he's doing exactly where the Lord wants he's him to be. Good, yeah. You know? but, um, so um, we'll talk a little bit about some of the tunes that we're going to perform with Sandy as Berea. I'm looking forward to that. Yeah, and um, one of them is called Where I'm Going that you wrote. Uh, that's the song that makes you cry every time. Why did you write such a, a, a song? Yeah. Tell me about the song and the inspiration for that, where I'm going. You know, I, I think, um, you know, obviously we were in the midst of all of this creative uh, scriptural stuff that we were working on and, yeah. and digging into and, and you know, all the pastors that we were working with at the time and doing Bible studies. And I think, you know, all that kind of leaked in uh, during that point. But, but I remember... Uh, you know, knowing where you're going is, is you know, and, and we, you know, if I cry in this song, yeah, it's because I'm happy. Yeah. So if you got, you <laughs> tears know, of joy. If, if you guys see tears, it's because I'm happy because I know where I'm going. Yeah. And, and having that peace is, um, you know, I don't, I don't know what else beats it. Yeah. I, I just, you know, no matter what happens in the world, I know who's driving the bus and I know where I'm going. Yeah. And so, you know, it, it gave me a chance to kind of speak how I was feeling. Uh, and I wanted to, you know, a lot of writers need to say how they feel, and they try to find a way to do that. I think a lot of the artists we've grown up with have a message, so to speak, and yeah. and and you know they get a chance to say that message in a song, and hopefully it'll be a hit and it'll be out there for everybody. Right, right? right. Uh, a lot of our stuff never makes the light of day. True, but uh, we write it nonetheless with a heart and mind, and 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 a way to get a message out, and and to say that you know where you're going yeah. is amazing. And not you know if you're out there listening. And you know, you know what I'm talking about. You know that peace. Amen.
I'm just a pilgrim passing through this life alone. Jesus is light guiding me home. I know where I'm going. I know where I've been. By the blood of Christ, I don't have one century. lyrics I've ever read, honestly, is from that song, because you wrote, I met a dying man who cried out, tell me, son, is hell for me all over, or has it just begun? So sad to see him left questions in the end, and then I told him Jesus paid for all his sins. That, that is such a picture of so many people who live an entire life 
of pain and right. as the book of Ecclesiastes says, yes. all is vanity. Yeah. Right? And then they come to the end and they're dying and they know they're dying and it's like, is this the end of my suffering or am I just about to start an eternity of suffering? Right. And, and you're saying to him, all you need to do is trust Christ. Right. That that was such a moving line for me. I don't know if that's the thing that brings you to tears when yeah. you sing it, but it, it, it impacts me. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it impacts me every time because I can't imagine so many people having recently lost a father. You lost your father years back. And uh, you and, recently lost your Yeah. Years. And thankfully knowing they had testimonies. Oh, yeah. I can't imagine him, uh, either of our dads, being on their deathbed and not being certain of their eternal security. That would have really been hard. Yeah. And, and so for anybody, we, we, we do these songs because we, we're reaching out with the truth of the only hope there is. Right. You know. And, uh, and, and you know what? You can do like some of my friends. You can say, well, there's no reason to do that. We're going to die and go right into dust. And I go, you know, you can do that. But if there is a heaven and a hell, and, and I believe there is and you believe there is, you know, you can take that chance. Or do you want to take that chance? Yeah. Just just take the free gift. Absolutely. Just accept it. Absolutely. Know? If you want to be unprofitable to uh, to the ministry, stay in the closet. Just get saved. Amen. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's true. You know, I don't I don't you know, I don't you know, encourage that. You know, you want to get out there and tell people about it, but just get saved. Yeah. You know, I mean get it over with and get it done. I'd I'd rather if a person doesn't have a heart after they get saved to serve the Lord, I'd rather know they're saved exactly. and useless yes. than be lost and running around being so religiously good and it all amounts to nothing. At least we'll see him again. Yeah, amen. Yeah. Amen. If you'd like to hear the rest of our heartwarming interview with Brad Davis and more songs by Maria with Sandy Scott and Brad, consider becoming a premium podcast subscriber at BibleMysteriesPodcast.com.